0: Welcome to the Basiliad Library Bridging the Distance podcast, where we attempt to keep our students, administration, faculty, and alumni connected in spirit during the 2020 physical distancing event. Today in our debut podcast, we speak with Dr. Jonathan Perry, Manor College's ninth president. Welcome, Dr. Perry. It is an honor to speak with you this afternoon.
1: It's my pleasure to be with you, Rich, and uh, really glad to be able to be a part of the podcast you're bringing together here.
0: Courtney and I are the current library staff in the Basiliad Library, and we understand you may have had a personal interest in renovating the library space a few years ago, I believe. Can you give us some background on the project and uh, what did you want the space to represent and how do you think it has met those goals?
1: Yes, and thank you for asking that. Our library, so when I first got to Manor, it was the very end of 2015. And so I was coming in sort of mid-year. The library performed its function, I would say fairly well. There were some, a number of components of it that were a bit antiquated. And so it was clear that it was probably the most in need of a facelift. So uh, what we did was we hired a person who was an interior designer because it didn't require structural changes, it required a change in look. When you go into the library, it is a broad, open, light-filled, breathtaking space. It's really a beautiful, beautiful library. And so it was just a matter of bringing some color and some comfort in. What we did was the, the stacks of books were almost to the center of the library where the big open space is now with all the couches and everything. And we realized a couple of things. The vice president of academic affairs at the time, he and I uh, were decided about going through our library volumes with the head librarian at the time. We, in looking through everything, we realized that we were duplicative to many of the online resources. We had a paralegal program law library that extended to like the early 1900s. And that information is absolutely a critically important resource. But as someone who is trained as a lawyer, I can tell you, you don't need to do it that way anymore. You know, the way that we used to look through books Is we would go to the indexes of the law books if we were looking for specific cases to support, you know, some something that we were working on. We would go through the index. We would look for the cases. We would look for the statutes, and we would go far back into the law, the you know, early 1900s, late 1800s, and then also you want to look to what the new law is and make sure you're doing the right thing. And so it was very time consuming. You know, the process of legal research was very time consuming, but today. There are resources that our library has, like LexisNexis, and you can jump onto that. And within seconds, you can perform the research that used to take us hours to do. And you can put in a few keywords, and there you go. You've got you know, a list of 20 cases. And do you still have to read through stuff? Absolutely. I mean, there's no substitute for that. Uh, not now, anyway so it's it just became very apparent to us that we needed to thin thin the herd in there <laughs> and get rid of some of the books so we did that and uh, there were some that we recycled there were some that we gave away some that we tried to donate and and there were some that quite frankly you know no one would take maybe the outer uh, binding of the book was not something you could recycle we had to throw some out too so you know we we thinned the herd and um we moved all of those stacks that were in the center of the space out. We brought in all of those beautiful new couches and cozy, comfortable chairs, colorful. We brought in the little tabletop desks there where you can plug in your phones and stuff. And we painted the library. We, we gave it some new colors. When you look at the pillars in the library, they're sort of in a light gray. And then the two side walls are are sort of an eggshell, sort of yellow, not quite white. And then we put a few color pops here and there. And then we started to do more things like uh, we also thinned enough on the south side of the library uh, so that we could create the forum space in there. And all of the chairs that we had in the center and in many other places, we brought over to that forum space to make that the forum. And whether, whether it's you know welcome back day, or student senate, or faculty teaching a course, or sometimes we have our Ukrainian dialogues there, um, it's just this great open air space for us to have this chance to exchange knowledge and information. That's sort of it in a nutshell. You know, we started putting the stickers on the glass to uh, reduce actually some of the sunlight that came in there because we found that in the winter, When the leaves were off the trees, looking out all those windows, it would actually be warmer in the library than it was in the summer when the leaves were on. So we tried to even that out with you belong here in the center space. And then in the forum space, we found that when speakers were speaking, the sun was (laughs) casting on their right side. They were getting, you know, a full half suntan as they were speaking. Uh, So we, certain windows, we made those images of our students and and of our campus, which turned out very nice. So that's sort of it in a nutshell as, as to why we did that. We felt it was the most important for our students to feel that when they walked into the library like this was another home where they could do their research. Yes, they could sit down, down at the cubicles. Yes, they could sit at, down at the desks and do that work workspace kind of stuff together in small groups. But they could also, you know, let your hair down a little bit and just sort of kick your feet up and just sit there with the book in your lap and, and get through it and and sort of enjoy the, the library in, in, a, in a real sense.
0: Well, I, I certainly think you accomplished those goals. The students definitely enjoy it. And, look at it as a space to congregate, catch up on things. And uh, I think it works wonderfully that way. Uh, the only thing we're missing is a barista. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny because that you said that part of what we discussed with the interior designer was we wanted it to have the comfort of a coffee shop.
0: Well, I definitely and- think it matches that. Based on that, do you have a favorite childhood memory of a library or perhaps a great experience from when you were a student?
1: Favorite childhood memory or experience as a student. I can give you one of each. So um, I just remember growing up, I grew up in New York. You know, our family resources were fairly limited. And it was sort of a different time. I think today, you know, there are some families who were sort of reluctant to let their kids ride ride the bike, ride their bike to the local library. In those days, it was like, you know, get on your bike and go. Get out of the house. Get get out of my hair. So I would ride my bike to the local library and you know, I wouldn't spend hours there, but, but I did spend some time there just looking through things. And I think one of the things that I found the most engrossing was encyclopedias. I would sit there and I would just try to look at the different things and say to myself, wow, I can't believe that exists or I can't believe this happened. And, and so I would, I would get a little consumed from time to time just sure. getting through those encyclopedias. And nowadays, you know, everything's on Wikipedia. Yeah, sure. And, and the online encyclopedias, and those are great. But uh, one of the things that's very important for any library is the right balance between digital and paper, because there are definitely times when you want to hold it in your hand. No doubt. And so we have in our home now, a 1990s Encyclopedia Britannica, that's sitting in my garage, collecting mold and dust. But one day, about maybe three or four weeks ago, my daughter said to me, what is that? And so I brushed off the dust and I said, look at this. <laughs> and of course, everything was outdated, sure. um, but it was still interesting enough that you know it was something that she found appealing. And then as an adult, I was in law school. Uh, I was in our law library all the time. I studied from the time I woke up until the time I went to sleep, about six days a week. And then on the seventh day, I spent about half a day studying. It was just uh, a really different time of life where I was—I had to be committed to that kind of level of learning because there was just no way to pass the bar exam without knowing all of the factors important to passing. I mean, there I had many happy hours in the library because all my friends were doing the same thing you know you're all in the same sort of belly of the whale together Uh, so you know we would sit together and we would chat and you know we would do stupid things like see how high our highlighter markers could stack in the library and you know (laughs) without setting off the fire alarm or something you know although it, it I also it was sort of a little bit tragic but it was also happy with my with the librarian there there, because the level of competitiveness was so high, there would be some students who didn't want any other students to get any kind of competitive advantage. So they would cut um, the cases, the law cases, out of the books uh, so that after they read it, no one else could read it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, but what many of those um, students who are doing that kind of thing didn't know is that the law librarian kept a second set of books on the top floor of the library where nobody ever went to because you know walking that extra flight of steps was too much. I remember going down and just thanking the librarian a couple times and saying you know this is what's happened and I would report the issue and you know thank you for keeping that second set of books which is just you know supposed to be a resource in case somebody's consuming it at any given moment but When somebody steals it, then it becomes the only one. Uh, Sort of sad and happy, but really happy, appreciative to the librarian at the time.
0: Chalk one up for the librarians. I like that. (laughs) So, how has this remote experience been for you and uh, what has helped you stay connected?
1: The remote experience has had some challenges. For me, it has been challenged in that I have a deep appreciation for personal connections and want to be present and in conversation with others on our campus as much as I reasonably can. One of the reasons that I keep an open door policy is because I wanna be accessible and I, and I wanna make sure that the conversations happening on our campus are not just meaningful, but also effective. And so those components have been challenged. As we work to get back on campus this fall, I will be there on campus a minimum of two days a week uh, and then working online the rest of those days because we've asked all of our staff and faculty, our staff particularly, to stagger. Um, So that's going to hinder some personal interactions and conversations, but it's a necessity because of COVID and we want to keep our campus as safe as we humanly or reasonably can. So that's the challenged part. The good news is that many of those conversations, while we may not be getting the hello, how are you as we're passing each other in the hallway and getting into some of those important conversations. We are getting into other conversations like this one that might not have otherwise happened, but for the fact that, you know, here everybody's jumping on Zoom the way they might have jumped on the phone some time ago to be able to just see each other and, and have, you know, open conversations or get through agendas. Um, I've been very appreciative of of the Zoom platform and also in our Canvas uh, learning management system. We also have the big blue button platform. So that's been very helpful. And, uh, you know, getting along otherwise, every now and then picking up the phone. Uh, I am still getting to campus, even over the summer when it's been sort of light for most folks. Uh, I've gotten to campus several times. Uh, The short answer is you adapt and overcome.
0: Well... Is there a food from our cafeteria that you you have missed the most?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I eat to live. I don't live to eat, but I'll tell you what I miss. I miss our dining hall workers because there's a few of them who I have everyday conversations with and who have shared with me some of their personal stories about their lives and their families, Um, some really exciting things and some, Challenges and hardships. Uh, I've I've formed these personal relationships with the dining hall staff. I care about them, and I don't get to see them because those are the passing by conversations. Sure. So I s- certainly will be looking forward to this fall semester because even if it's outside and and from ten feet away or whatever it is, I want to be able to just say hello.
0: Yeah. From a reading perspective, uh, is there anything you read regularly? you know, a particular magazine, newspaper, or blog? Uh,
1: I have a funny format of doing things. I read online newspapers from the left and the right and the center politically. I read them all. Uh, I read some of the outliers, and then I read higher education-specific newspapers. So when I read the mainstream news and some of the outliers, I read that once a day, usually first thing when I get up. I spend about half an hour to an hour reading the papers. And then I'll move on to higher education news. But I do not rely upon any of them so much as that they, they do alert sometimes to issues. But really, I sent out an email a few weeks or a few days ago, I guess. And it talked about primary source. I try to get to who said it. So that I can read the the direct primary source of the information rather than relying upon the interpretation of others about what was originally said. That's usually pretty helpful. So yeah. That's sort of my strange way of doing things.
0: No, well, uh, bias, you know from both sides of the coin are you know so important these days uh, to really understand what's happening. I mean mm-hmm. it's almost you almost have to do that today if you really want to understand what's happening. I think so. Is there a guilty pleasure that you like reading uh, for fun?
1: I do like reading about cars. I have an affinity for classic cars, uh, particularly classic roadsters. Um, At least pre-COVID, I would go to, there's a, a local bookstore right across the border from me in Delaware, and they have a lot of these British automobile magazines that are terribly overpriced. They're like $13 for one issue. And in their money, I, I guess, I don't know, it would be even more expensive. Um, but I do like that, that's a little bit of a guilty pleasure. I do like reading about cars and from time to time tinkering with them.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And when you're reading a book, uh, have, do you enjoy the digital reader or do you prefer a, a hard copy?
1: It depends. So if it's a shorter book, something under 100 pages, I prefer digital. Um, but if it's, you know, four or 500 pages, and I think this this is to my generation. I'm not sure my daughter would say the same thing, um, but I like to hold a book.
0: Yeah. yeah. So th- this is a tough one. I'd like to take you back to the first week of January 2020. Do you recall anything you were especially looking forward to or anything you wanted to accomplish either in the short or long term?
1: I've been at Manor now for almost five years. And when I first got to Manor in 20 end of 2015, the 2015-16 school year, we brought together very quickly a new organizational strategic plan. And that plan lasted until the end of calendar year 2020. At this point, we have accomplished better than 90, 95% of those goals. So I I was and continue to look forward to that. Um, One thing that has slowed down because of COVID, but that has not stopped is our planning, meaning long range planning for 2021 to 2025. That plan has come together over the last two years. There are some nuances and changes that will need to be made and that are being made because of COVID. One thing that we did right before COVID hit was we expanded the size of our Board of Trustees strategic planning committee. And we got some uh, fine people around the table who are helping us to think through the issues. And the way the strategic plan is working is that it sort of is going across different units and groups within the college. We sort of uh, got it cooking at the board level and then uh, had many discussions about it with the executive leadership team. Um, We've shared it with other groups in the college. We had planned on having a number of focus groups with students and neighbors and others. That hasn't happened yet because we have been hoping that we would be doing a little bit better with COVID, uh, but we are working on getting that now digitally organized through Zoom or something. Um, so those, those I, I, I'm, I'm a planner, I enjoy planning. Um, and then seeing that there's fruits of the results of our efforts, we've really come an incredible, incredibly long way between 2015 and today. The college is not what it was anymore, it's now every bit as engrossed in its mission and every bit as thoughtful about its students as it was in 2015 and before, but now we also have um, some new opportunities that range from programmatically, we've gone from being only an associate's degree-granting institution. We now offer also certificates and bachelor's degrees. We're even able to offer Um, certificates that are for under 12-month programs, so micro-credentials, that's brand new as of last semester. And then from a facilities perspective, you know, we talked about the library a little bit, but almost every one of our classrooms, except for some of the third floor of the Mother Perpetual Health Building, have been renovated and refreshed. Uh, the, The oldest ones of our labs are maybe six, seven years old, and the newest ones are new as of this last summer, so a month old. Uh, so we've done so much with the campus facilities. And all those things together, the academics, you know, the the real invigoration by our faculty to be purposeful at all times, but most especially being thoughtful and caring about our students through COVID has been wonderful. In terms of sort of what I had been looking forward to, it, it's nothing that stopped us. It slowed us down a little bit because we also then had to pick up planning around making sure that uh, we were doing the right thing to care and protect people, and follow CDC guidelines and state guidelines around the pandemic. So that's slowed us down, so to say, but it hasn't stopped us, and we're continuing with some of that that great work that we're excited about. Wow, wonderful! And
0: I've taken a lot of uh, leadership insights from our conversation already. Uh, but the last question I had was for the future leaders who may be listening to this podcast: Do you have any leadership insights which you have learned or leaned on during? 2020?
1: I don't think that they're much different than those that I've picked up along the way from mentors. I would say getting a mentor, lots of people want to get a mentor or a life coach or something like that, and and they should, but what shouldn't happen is don't get one who hasn't done the things that you hope to do. In other words, only get a mentor or a life coach that has achieved the goals that you want to achieve. There's three three great questions that I've been asked by different people and that I've sort of adopted into my own repertoire as it pertains to leadership. One of this, one of them is how does this play out? How does this play out is examining all of the variables, all of the possibilities, of a given situation to understand what direction you might go in. Uh, Another question is a very Brazilian one. What can I do for you? So often we enter conversations and we think to ourselves, well, how is this gonna do anything for, for what we're trying to achieve here? But we need to step back from that question as often as we reasonably can and ask ourselves, What can we do for the other? What can we do for the person who we're speaking with before we worry about the other stuff? And then perhaps the best question is from a mentor, a professor who taught me, and someone who for a brief period was our interim provost, Dr. David Greenholt, a very faith-filled man who would ask me from time to time, how can I pray for you? And it's a great question because you have to put your guard down if you're going to answer it authentically. When someone else prays for you, you feel the sense of humility by having revealed what it is that you you shared. And when you pray for others, you feel the sense of hopefulness and connectedness with God in some way that. You're 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 hopeful, you're prayerful that uh, the, the messages are being received and that there are blessings that come over the person who you're praying for, and and you get that sense that that inner feeling that there is a, a sort of quiet action being taken, steps uh, to move that person in the direction that that they are hopeful for.
0: Wow, that's fantastic! Thank you. Well, I think that's all we had today. Uh, But we thank you for spending this time with us, Dr. Perry, and sharing some information from where you sit and look forward to a a great uh, fall 2020 and seeing you on campus again.
1: I'll leave you with uh, one of my favorite books as sort of my parting word here. I think it's timely for the world we're living in right now. It was given to me at my inauguration by Senator Art Haywood, our senator for... Manor College, and it's called Strength to Love by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It is uh, as timely today as it was in the 1960s, um, and I encourage everybody to read it. In fact, when I taught leadership development two semesters ago, I made it part of the mandatory reading. Wow. Yeah, so well worth it, and, um, and you'll have to let me know uh, once the podcast is over here, or, or maybe some other time when you're comfortable, let me know how I can pray for you.
0: Thank you so much. Have a great summer.
1: Okay, you too. God bless. Bye-bye. Bridging the Distance is a podcast from the Basilia Library at Manor College. It is hosted and produced by Head Librarian Rich Jukowicz and Library Assistant Courtney Dalton. Keep an eye out for future episodes on the podcast website at anchor.fm slash Distance or subscribe to Bridging the Distance on your favorite podcast app. Our intro music is Thereafter by A.A. Alto, and our outro music is Hammer and Bridge by Isla Nereo.